When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Tuesday, June 29, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm joined today by Tommy Thornton and Samuel Burke. Welcome, gentlemen. Nice to see you. Hey. Hey, we're nice watching. To, uh, nice to see you, Ash. And uh, Samuel, welcome to Real Vision. Uh, I've heard nice things about you and look forward to doing some uh, good interviews and daily briefings with you. Indeed, we are watching a wide variety of stories today uh, across markets. First up, consumer confidence is soaring. It's currently at a post-pandemic high of 127.3. Conference board survey is up 7.3 points on prior month. Samuel? Well, I've been tracking very closely. The new number is coming out for April actually show that home prices in the U.S. surged at their fastest pace ever, Ash. Yeah. Also, A16Z is spinning up its third crypto hedge fund. Uh, This is Andreessen Horowitz. Of course, you're seeing um, Mr. Andreessen on screen right now. Uh, This is said to be the largest crypto hedge fund of all time, $2.2 billion. And the European travel industry is getting hammered for a second day, Ash. It is over concerns over the Delta variant, and they are limiting more and more travel on the continent. Yeah. So those are just some of the stories we're watching. Tommy, what are you looking at today? Well, it's another summer quiet day. Uh, Congratulations to England. Uh, Sweden and Ukraine were tied last time I I checked. And that's, um, I think, mostly how this market's been trading. It seems like people are just, you know, really, really quiet, not taking big positions, volumes really low. Uh, I will say, first off, I want to say that uh, yesterday morning, I put out that I turned constructive and somewhat bullish on Bitcoin with the price action. And I'll say it wasn't a super strong conviction by by any means, because I, I didn't get all the indicators that I wanted fulfilled. And I gave the benefit of the doubt to the bullish side, and it's lifting a little bit, but the way I look at it is if it if it breaks 3200 I might raise that stop since it's up since um, I put that recommendation on I might raise the stop uh, 3200 and or 32000 and 30000 uh, for people that really wanted a wider stop so I will um, be constructively bullish here I don't know where it's going um, and I I think that there's still a lot of risks out there still a lot of noise the tether stuff and China, who knows? I, I just think that the price action looked uh, enough um, things lined up, so I said, okay, let's uh, we can uh, we can we can buy it here. 
Tommy, it looks like the last trade, 36,000, about 383 on my screen. Uh, what were some of the factors driving your change of view? Was it just straight a gut feeling on price action? Were you looking at technical indicators? Were there some news story, cycle stories that were driving that view? Well, I, I look at um, some, there's some indicators that I use now for Bitcoin sentiment, and it didn't get fully oversold. And I used DeMarc indicators, as everyone knows, and we did have a couple exhaustion signals, but there were several other DeMarc indicators that did not fully qualify. So that was really it. And today it uh, closed with a four-day uh, closing high. So I, I will say that that was a, another thing that I wanted to see. So it's it's positive action. If it goes to 4,000 or 40,000, great. Uh, 50,000, 50, I don't know. But I think it's got some time to, to bounce a little bit. And, um, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll ride it. And Tommy, I'm just interested uh, to go back one day, but with a purpose, uh, that Binance story, the, the story uh, about the UK regulators saying that Binance can't do any regulated activity here in the UK. Yes, they can still have the exchange because that's not based in the UK. A lot of people thought that was big news, but it's looking like a one-day story, maybe because the headline wasn't quite as big as the story wasn't quite as big as the headline. Has that factored into your thinking at all? Do you think that's a one-day story or do you think that has broader implications? And also to note that Binance did face some similar headwinds in other places like Japan and Ontario, where they actually pulled out of on their own will. Right. I, I don't, I mean, I'm not a Bitcoin um, fundamentalist or a person uh, that knows the, the ins and outs like someone like Ash. But I will say, when something rallies on perceptive negative news, uh, I'll take that as um, something that's been fully washed out with uh, maybe the the sentiment indicators that I have just weren't, you know, pulling the right people. But it it, it definitely was a good a, a positive that it it rallied on, you know, that perceived negative news. And and there could be more negative news, and we'll see how it trades. I mean, just follow. I'm watching how different news stories hit this. I mean, positive news, you know, when Elon Musk put money into it or other people put money into it, it just, it, it, it really took off. So, you know, it's a confidence thing. It's the ultimate sentiment, confidence asset. And, you know, again, I'm just, I'm long right now. And, uh, We'll see where it goes. Ash, before we went on air, Tommy said that he's completely secular, but a pure opportunist. I love that. I hope you don't mind if I flip the, the role for a second on you, Ash, and decline if, if you feel. But since Tommy said you're the man with the Bitcoin expertise, I'm curious what you made of, of the Binance story yesterday out of the UK. Yeah, I'm not really a fundamentalist either. I guess I'm more of an ecumenicist in this space. Um, you know, for me, this is yet another story of yet another exchange getting some trading uh, restriction or operational restriction in yet another jurisdiction. Uh, you know, over the years, I've watched these stories come. I've watched these stories go. There's a dent on price. Uh, if the market then discovers uh, or decides that it's not uh, as big a deal because market participants collectively don't see a significant long-term impact, the price action washes out. We return to the upside. You know, to me, um, that kind of story is not something that I really think is terribly significant. 
Yeah, it looks, like, looks like you were right because the bar market uh, barely even moved on it. In fact, it was even up at one point yesterday. But that is actually literally yesterday's news now, Ash. Indeed. So to talk a little bit more about today's news, uh, Samuel, I know that you've been thinking about this space more broadly. You had a really cool graphic uh, that uh, you were showing us earlier uh, with regard to Andreessen Horowitz. Give us a little bit of context on what that graphic means to you and why it's significant. Yeah, I was really interested. If we pull this graphic up on the screen, what you'll see when it comes to where they're making their investments is really how diverse it was. I mean, it's some of the usual suspects that you'd have up there. But if you look at some of the names like Robinhood, which of course didn't start in Bitcoin trade, I was really intrigued to see just how broad it was. And I didn't see any really unexpected names on there. I was hoping to see maybe something that you know was fresh on our radar. And this is kind of a run of the mill, but extremely diverse. So you see all of the ways that the Bitcoin, um, uh, the Bitcoin atmosphere has has grown across so many different markets. Really, I thought it was a really interesting. Uh sort of schema as well. I mean, my first reaction to it was how fortunate we are at Real Vision to have interviewed so many of the CEOs and founders uh, on this chart. Uh, and then my second one is, it's interesting, I might have broken it up a little bit differently, but that's what's so interesting about the crypto space is that it's still so early that the arrangement, the structure, the hierarchy, the taxonomy, all not settled yet. It's very much up for grabs. So when uh, A16Z uh, or the block puts out uh, an analysis of A16Z's portfolio and tries to figure out how to slot it, how to bucket it, it's interesting because there aren't like very firm categories that yet exist in the space. So to me, it was less, uh, you know, the fact that uh, that you know the way that they arrange themselves than the idea that someone was doing it. Like for example, GICS uh, is the the uh, standard for Global Industry Classification standard. It's the way that you categorize uh, different uh, companies in different sectors. This is something, if you, you look on your Bloomberg terminal or if you look on CNBC, this is something that's been agreed upon now for, I don't know, as long as I've been on in finance. Uh, maybe the categories change a little here and there, the constituents move around. But the big picture view from the top, the organization, the structure, how those things get bucketed, not changing. Crypto, super early days. Like Samuel, if you have a better arrangement, like write it up and people will probably start using it. That's how I, early we are. I don't think I can do too much better than that chart. <laughs> hey, hey, Ash, um, I'm just seeing coming across uh, the Bloomberg here that um, Adams, uh, Eric Adams, who's running for mayor, they just uh, announced their uh, more results. And they did this vote for five people who are, you know, rank them. And Catherine Garcia, is now in second place, but only with a two-point lead. So this is going to be really big news in the New York City area, because nobody thought that everybody thought that Eric Adams had just a, a wild uh, front-runner lead here. So that's going to be interesting. Tommy, am I the only one who doesn't understand this new voting system? Everybody under no, nobody understands it. <laughs> I mean, no. It's like participation trophies, you know. <laughs> oh, you played last place. Here you get one point. Listen, uh, last night my favorite bartender said to me, you know, in the 80s, before we had computers, you could vote at 9 o'clock in the morning, polls would close by 9 o'clock at night, and by the 11 o'clock news, you knew who the mayor was. Now, I don't know. Yeah, the, the, just the efficiency of, of counting and already having the the tally before everybody voted. That was um, the way it worked in New York. I think Chicago had that model as well. 
Yeah, only only when there were live voters, I think, and uh, not yeah. voting. Um, but you know, idea I, I, the idea, of course, is that it's supposed to broaden the ideological spectrum, uh, make it a more participatory process. All of which are good things. Samuel, you're in Europe. You're in the UK. First past the post. I don't understand that system either. No, it's actually. I mean, across the board here in Europe, you see it everywhere. You get your first choice. A lot of times your first choice isn't going to win. The more you get that first choice, the more you start to go to these other parties. But it definitely makes the count much longer. And there's a whole, of course, mathematical system that you have to put in place then to, to figure it out. But um, yeah, I was surprised to see that headline cross right now as well. I thought it was pretty much a, a done deal. But it ain't over until all the votes are counted and then the second round and then that third round of votes. The, the, torture, the torture is that when you live here and you watch the TV, the commercials were just, I mean, every single show you watched, it just, you're trying to watch the news and it was just every one. And I, I'm, I don't know, it's, it was just awful. New York uh, politics, um, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all the, Oh, it's just—it's too much. Can we talk about the markets? That's every day I am for, and they're paying for. Come on. Every day I am thankful that I cover markets and not politics. Talking of markets, question coming into you, uh, Tom from MLC. Uh, the question is about Treasury bonds, uh, yields, and prices. I'm looking right now at the ten-year. Looks like about uh, one spot. 475, not a whole lot of change. The question is, Tom, what are you seeing in the way of DeMarc signals for U.S. Treasuries? The 10-year the does not have uh, a signal, uh, an exhaustion count in present right now. Uh, but on the 30-year, uh, there is uh, a countdown that should see yields or the rates on the 30-year drop a little bit more. So I've, I'm, my view has been lower and then higher um, on on the rates. So that's that's plain and simple. And it's been actually back and forth on the 10-year, um, and it's really caused a lot of uh, problems with you know various factors. And you know, energy was up yesterday. Energy's down today. Financials were up. You know, it's just it's causing all sorts of headaches um, bouncing around. So I think the mar the equity markets have been keying off of uh, somewhat the um, the move in uh, in rates. Yeah, thirty-year Treasury. I should add, trading at about uh, two point zero nine percent. Yep. So, so Tom, let's talk a little bit about the equity side. Quiet afternoon. You know, the Dow and the S and P both closing. I mean, I would say flat, fractionally higher, up zero point three. Uh, 0.03%. I mean, basically no motion at all. Uh, NASDAQ up about uh, two-tenths of 1%. No real significant levels here. Big mover of the day, if you want to call it that. Uh, Russell 2000 uh, off about six-tenths of a percent, uh, closing down at 2308. Do you see anything significant here, uh, big picture on the indices? Yeah. I, okay. There's, there's some things that I, I think are really important right now. Yesterday and today, I guess we're closed at new all-time highs for the S&P. Uh, breath was down uh, for the day, yesterday and today. And the VIX was up yesterday, um, and it's up today as well. So I, I just think that you're starting to see some d divergences, and a lot of people are talking about how the markets are making new highs, but 
the percentage of stocks within those indices are declining. Uh, let's say the per percentage above the 50-day moving average, the 100-day moving average. Uh, we're starting to see these declines when you sh would expect at new highs uh, would be there. But I, I think the market's just running out of some tempo. They just it it, it can't really get some continuous uh, strength within a few sectors. Now, okay. X tech because that's been the best thing uh, in the last two weeks, and I have a lot to say about that. But the the point is that when you start seeing these di divergences, um, the technical people like myself and we start to say, okay, what now? If you have fewer stocks participating, it's just a matter of time when those other stocks start to give up and we you know have a, a correction. Um, and correction today in this day and you know, this year, it seems like a 5% pullback is like 1987 for some people. Um, <laughs> and so it's like the thing that's really been, I've been talking about for a week is that the NASDAQ indices, and you can look at the NASDAQ futures, you can look at the composite, you can look at the NDX, the Qs, uh, even the inverse, they're all showing DeMarc exhaustion signals, the sequential and combo uh, cell countdown 13, or uh, those are really significant, not only on the daily, but on a weekly time frame as well. So when I see both of those lining up together, it gives me conviction that you know something is going to happen. And usually when you see these indicators trigger, uh, the rule of thumb is that you will see a price reversal of whether it's going up or down, uh, depending on the signal, within 10 to 12 days. And I still, I, I highlighted semiconductors today on my note, and I still see a little bit of strength um, possible within some of the, the semis in that group. And they've been exceptionally strong. And that's, that's one group that I see topping out this year when the supply will come back online or the supply demand balance uh, become, you know, becomes more equilibrium in equilibrium. I can talk. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm watching there. Uh, but I really think that like, there's the potential for some sort of liquidation event. And a lot of people like Spot Gamma was talking about it today and some others that there's really, it, it just could come out of nowhere. And I don't know what the catalyst will be, but I just don't think that Market sentiment for me, and I'm looking at um, the daily sentiment index that we uh, publish and um, get from Jake Bernstein. It's at 87% bulls for the NASDAQ 100 right now. And it'll probably go up again today, perhaps. And it just, it's like a balloon. And the, the, the higher it goes and it get, a balloon gets more extended, the easier it is for something to prick it. It doesn't need to be a, a needle. It could just be sort of a, a corner or something moderately sharp or an elbow or whatever. It, it That's how I see this market right now. I see the market is just fragile in the sense that we have fewer names going up. Um, you know, the important names are going up. You have Apple and Microsoft and Amazon and Facebook. Uh, moving everything up Google um, as well. But we need more participation. And that, unfortunately, I think we're running out of. And Tommy, I'm curious to get your take. We talked at the top of the show about 
the real effects that the Delta variant is starting to have on the market here. You saw travel stocks, big names like British Airways, EasyJet, kind of the equivalent of Southwest Airlines on this side of the pond, really take a second day of, of beatings. And it's really not over just fear at this point. The travel companies are reacting to the very real curbs that are being placed on travel, particularly travel from the UK. Hong Kong no longer taking flights from the UK. Portugal putting in more requirements for double vaccination, double dose vaccinations for visitors. Spain wasn't even requiring people to get tested to come into the country. Now they're putting there. So obviously there's a good reason that the travel companies are reacting the way they are. We see cases going up in places like the UK, though we don't see hospitalizations really moving that much. Yes, they're ticking up, but not in any significant way. Uh, I'm curious to get your perspective on this and if you think it has broader implications than just the European travel market. Well, I, I, I look at uh, two baskets of stocks and I can kind of see that action and the fear of the, you know, the, the Delta variant because one, they're Goldman Sachs um, factor baskets, and one is the stay-at-home basket, which were littered with all the big mega tech stocks and Zoom and all these things that that benefited from staying at home. And that has been lifting uh, rapidly in the last two weeks. And I think that's partly due to, well, you know, maybe we're we're gonna get locked down again. I hope not. I doubt it. I really doubt it. Um, but on I that see note, the UK, even though the variant has spread so much here, they're moving forward with that July nineteenth goal of the complete unlocking. The only problem is other countries won't take us all of a sudden. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Uh, but the the um, reopening basket is really has really been interesting because it has been it peaked uh, around late March and then it's just gone sideways and it just started to break down over the last few days and of course you have airlines hotels casinos restaurants retailers stuff that you would of course um, equate with the reopening you're also having financials week in a bit as well and that may be partly because of uh, rates dropping a bit, uh, and and energy's been uh, a little squishy and not trading so well lately. But that got overbought, and I think that's just a wait for a pullback to get back into that. But yeah, you know, this is a fear that people have. Uh, California, who well, I used to live in California. I lived in grew up in Los Angeles. They just uh, said that they are requiring in certain places people to wear masks again inside. I have relatives there. They're they're probably wearing masks in their own homes. I mean, it, I, I think it's a bit overdone, and especially if you you know if you've been vaccinated or double vaxxed, I think I mean I I heard it on on Bloomberg today that there was a doctor saying the chances of you getting you know the Delta variant when you've had and I'm not a doctor, but the chances of you getting the Delta variant when you've had the Pfizer or Moderna vax double vax uh, is, is pretty low. So I'm not necessarily I mean, here in the UK yeah. where we've had very few people who've had both vaccinations. They show the, the having just one jab, as, as they call it here, you, you don't have the protection that, that you would want. But by the time you get the second dose, 
I mean, they're not even recommending a third dose anymore. They were talking about that. They looked at it and said other countries better off getting those doses that haven't had their first one. So, I mean, the number of people in hospitals here with two doses and the Delta variant, it exists, but extremely, extremely low. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that's that's kind of how I see it. It's 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 a risk that happened with SARS in in China and Hong Kong, where you had these second waves and people sold off the markets and and panicked. I think this is different, and I'm I'm generally optimistic that this is not going to become another situation. Hopefully. Yeah, news stories out today suggesting that Moderna's vaccine uh, provides immunity against the Delta variant and some other uh, studies showing that uh, obviously the uh, Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, very similar RNA vac- uh, vaccinations, uh, so uh, hopefully provide immunity in both cases. Tom, to get back to something you were talking about before, you were talking about this case where we have this this kind of slow grind higher uh, in U.S. equity markets led by big cap tech. I was looking uh, earlier uh, today at my spreadsheet here that's uh, that shows that um, it looks like the uh, Nasdaq uh, looks like the Nasdaq uh, composite is up about uh, about 1.1 percent, uh, almost 1.2 percent on the week. Uh, Nasdaq 100 up one. About one spot six percent on the week. The one hundred uh, leading the composite, presumably because it is uh, the large cap techs that are pulling it higher. Uh, what are the risks that you see in this market? Are there potential fragilities because of the narrowness of the participation in the rally? Again, I I I really think that that you know tech is sort of the easy place to go. And that, that's that's what people will gravitate towards. And it's easy. Buying Apple is, is a no-brainer for a money manager or a fund. And buying these large-cap names, that's just what people are doing. And it's simple. It, it, it works. Until there, you know, and this is kind of like in 2000, we had all these, these tech names, uh, the big-cap tech tech names, the Intels and the... the um, the, the, you know, Microsofts and Apples even, they had, you know, great numbers until they didn't. And that happened in the third quarter. And possibly we could see that again. I mean, look, we're going to have tough comps with some of these tech companies ahead. And, you know, look, we've, we've, got, we've got earnings coming out in about a month from now, with starting with tech. I mean, financials are, I think, are two and a half weeks away. And you know, look at how financials traded today. They traded terrible, and they just announced huge buybacks, more dividends, and people just sold into them. They just they just don't care. I mean, that's the news. And and tech is also a sell the news type of thing. After they report earnings, it could be a sell the news type of thing. Oh, we got to we got to get through this because I, I wanted to mention Tesla because I've had a couple people. I always like the um, the the chat on the side here. Um, with uh, on YouTube and and I, I like these guys because there's a lot of them are there really faithful uh, viewers every single day and they ask really good questions they're they're yeah. kind of they're funny and they 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 have some good things to talk about and some of them even talk to each other uh, you know chat with each other which I think it's like we should do like a you know the daily briefing uh, get together in New York City I'm in I'm absolutely so, in. So um, a couple of people, one, I've had some people ask me about Tesla. And Tesla, this is a big week. And Tesla, uh, hopefully, um, you never know with Tesla, but they are supposed to report 
their quarterly delivery numbers. And last quarter, they were, were actually just in line and the market responded favorably. And this quarter, well, last quarter was 184,800 reported. And then the consensus is for 201,800 cars. Um, so, you know, Tesla's had this like enormous run. It's it's fallen off, and then we just had like a ten percent move this week, and that was after it was announced that China was gonna, you know, you had to wanted everybody um, or, or every car made in China, Model X or Model Y and um, three that, um, and it was like two hundred seventy five thousand cars had to be recalled, and I heard some stories that they it's not like an over the air software dump. It's more they had to go into the dealer, and it had to like it took an hour to to fix. So that's yeah. kind of a, a scary thing. But I I think this is going to be an interesting quarter because there's been semiconductor shortages. Nobody really knows how Tesla's going to do. They don't give guidance, and if it's it's a little squishy or let's say weak, uh, I think the stock could sell off. And the other thing is, this is a I, I, I don't know offhand, but you know we're talking like a a $600 billion company. Those are the the kind of companies that need to blow away earnings and delivery numbers and not just come in line to have your stock go up. I mean, this is just the absurdity of it all. You, you need to beat your numbers, Tesla. And this quarter, um, I think we're going to start to see a decrease in the regulatory emissions credits. Mm. Stellantis, uh, the merger between... Peugeot, who's Renault? I mean, all you know, all these. They they are no longer in need of buying regulatory emissions credits because they're starting to sell more cars, more EVs. Same with Ford. Same with Audi. Same with Porsche. Uh, Renault selling um, a lot of cars. Volkswagen uh, has done exceptionally well with their. EVs and they're rolling out very very fast in Europe and they've surpassed Tesla uh, for more EVs um, being sold right now. So I, I think Tesla's got um, a tough road. This, this next couple quarters is going to be very challenging to them. Yeah, obviously those credits are a major revenue item uh, line item for them. I guess we're going to have to see if the laws of gravity apply to Mr. Musk in this market. Uh, the stock is insane. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the go-to place uh, earlier talking about tech stocks. The go-to place that we go on Real Vision Daily Briefing is to our viewer questions. And I had one more that I wanted to get in before we close out the day. Uh, Prius Omega was asking about DXY dollar index. What are your thoughts there? Obviously, a little bit of a leg up right now. I think trading around 92. I've been been constructive on the dollar, which has been this this has been very out of consensus. Uh, I thought the dollar could lift. We did have daily and weekly to mark buy signals on DXY uh, near the lows. It took a few weeks for it to get moving, but it, it really started to move. I don't necessarily see this as like a breakout, this is it type call, but I see it moving higher. And, you know, all the other uh, corresponding crosses, the euro and others are starting to move as well. And I, I think that um, 
you know, maybe the central banks are allowing a little bit of the the currency fluctuation uh, for some of their trade, and and I think that's that you know that that might be something in play here. So I think yeah. it could go a little higher. Um, you know, it's got to be just incredibly demoralizing for all the whether it's Bitcoin or the gold bugs and metals bugs that 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 are just like pulling their hair out that that the dollar hasn't collapsed and had this terrible, you know, inflation induced, you know, crash that people have called for. And I, I see the whole point of why that could happen. But look, if something doesn't happen that, you know, people think should happen and, and it's going the other direction, it's got to be driving everybody just just nuts out there. So I, I, I'm an agnostic to price um, or you know, really, I, I just thought, thought, okay, this this could lift, and market sentiment got blown out, and it's it's starting to lift, and it's going to take some real doing to you know keep this thing moving. And and look, if there's a risk off liquidity type event in the market, equity markets, uh, you're going to see the U.S. dollar rise, and and maybe that's a little preview of why the dollar has been lifting. Yeah, last trade on DXY, 92 spot zero five. Gentlemen, we've packed an incredible amount into this 30 minutes. Uh, final thoughts, uh, first from you, Samuel. Well, I just have to say that one thing that really stood out to me is that whatever happens with the Delta variant, even if our uh, summer vacations get uh, canceled, there's so much more testing in place now. There's so many more signals that we can look at from before. So of course, with vaccinations, uh, we feel much more secure. But I think that a big surprise would be highly unlikely. Whatever happens, either which way, for better or for worse, I really do believe that we have all these indicators in place now that will help make this smoother, no matter what's in front of us. Yeah, very well said, and also better treatment protocols. Exactly. Tommy, final thoughts, final takeaways for the viewers. Well, I I, I think I'm filling in for Tony Greer. Um, I think he's you know getting his um, his plastic surgery done today. Um, <laughs> just kidding, everyone. Uh, Tony's the last person in the entire world that would ever um, stoop to something like that. But. Um, I, anyway, I just think that the market's kind of boring right now, um, and I think that's sometimes a risk where people get just caught flat-footed. I think if you've had some nice gains this year, take some off. Let's see what is going to happen into the next uh, quarterly earnings reports. And look, market sentiment's real high. You've got a lot of DeMarc signals. They tend to work. Um, and I, I just don't think that people are respecting the risk right now. A little boring uh, when the 52-week high gets hit on S&P 500. What a time to be alive. That's right. We're going to all go watch football now. <laughs> Samuel, right. Tommy, thanks for joining us. All right. I'm having a beer. I'm out. Talk to you guys. Thanks for watching, everyone. Uh -huh.